What's happening, world? I'm your host, the Wizard of Waz, Benji Wozniak. So today's show is going to be about the women's rights movement because I feel that nowadays not enough attention is put to this. So let's begin. In 1848, a women's rights convention was held in Seneca Falls, New York. This Seneca Falls meeting was not the first of this type. However, the suffragists believed that this was the first meeting to launch the movement. Now, at the meeting, 68 women and 32 men signed a Declaration of Sentiments, which outlined grievances and set agenda for the women's rights movement. A set of 12 resolutions was adopted and called for equal treatment among men and women. Now, two years later, in 1850, the first national women's rights conventions took place in Worcester, Massachusetts. This attracted over a thousand participants. So as you can see, over a two-year period, this movement actually starts picking up more and more supporters. Now, in May of 1950, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton formed the National Women's Suffrage Association, which primary goal is to achieve voting rights for women by means of a congressional amendment to the Constitution. This, by far, is no easy task. Now, despite all their efforts, it wouldn't be until 1869 Now, in November of 1869, Lucy Stone and Henry Blackwell understand that they might have to just go to individual states to see if they will amend the state constitutions to allow women to vote. Now, in December of 1869, Wyoming voted to allow women to serve on their juries. This isn't exactly voting rights, but it is a step in the right direction towards the women's rights movement. And this is a hard battle for these women, and it wouldn't be until 21 years later that the National Women's Suffrage Association and the American Women's Suffrage Association decided to merge and form the NAWSA, the National American Women's Suffrage Association. And they were going to continue to go state to state and try to get women's voting that way. Three years later, in 1893, Colorado was the first state to adopt an amendment granting women the right to vote. Utah and Idaho followed suit in 1896, Washington State in 1910, California in 1911, Oregon, Kansas, and Arizona in 1912, Alaska and Illinois in 1913, Montana, Nevada, 1914, New York, 1917, Michigan, South Dakota, and Oklahoma in 1918. So as you can see, it's starting to make a steamroll. Now the NAWSA was not the only organization out there. In 1896, the National Association of Colored Women was formed, bringing together more than 100 black women clubs. Leaders in the black women's club movement included Josephine St. Pierre Ruffin, Mary Church Terrell, and Anna Julia Cooper. In 1903, the National Women's Trade Union League, the WTUL, was formed to advocate for improved wages and working conditions for women. Now, in 1913, Elisa Paul and Lucy Burns formed the Congressional Union to work towards the passage of federal amendments to give women the right to vote. The group is later renamed the National Women's Party. Now, members picketed the White House and practiced other forms of civil disobedience to get Woodrow Wilson and Congress to pass the Women's Suffrage Amendment. Now, in 1916, Margaret Sanger opens the first U.S. birth control clinic in Brooklyn, New York. And although the clinic is shut down 10 days later and Sanger is arrested, she eventually wins support through the courts and opens another clinic in New York in 1923. This is huge for women because before they had no control over what happened. If they became pregnant, they would have the children. Now, in 1919, the Federal Women's Suffrage Amendment, originally written by Susan B. Anthony and introduced in Congress in 1878, is passed by the House of Representatives and the Senate. It is then sent to the states for ratification. Now, in 1920, the Women's Bureau of Department of Labor is formed to collect information about women in the workforce and safeguard good working conditions for women. Later that year, on August 26, 1920, the 19th Amendment to the Constitution, granting women the right to vote, is signed into law by Secretary of State Bainbridge Colby. 
As you can see, it was almost 100 years later before the United States government granted women the right to vote. Okay, so now that we've gone over the timeline, let's talk about some of the heroes in this movement. We'll start off with Susan B. Anthony. Anthony was born on February 15, 1920 in Adams, Massachusetts. Born into a Quaker family, she committed to social equality early. She collected anti-slavery petitions at the age of 17. In 1856, she became the first New York State agent for the American Anti-Slavery Society. Now, she actually met Elizabeth Cady Stanton in 1851, and they became lifelong friends. In 1852, they founded the New York Women's State Temperance Society, after Anthony was prevented from speaking at a temperance conference because she was female. In 1863, they founded the Women's Loyal National League, which conducted the largest petition drive in United States history. They collected nearly 400,000 signatures in support of abolition of slavery. In 1866, they initiated the American Equal Rights Association, which campaigned for equal rights for both women and African Americans. And in 1868, they began publishing a women's rights newspaper called The Revolution. In 1872, Anthony was arrested for voting in her hometown of Rochester, New York, and convicted in a widely publicized trial. Although she refused to pay the fine, the authorities declined to take any further action. In 1878, Anthony and Stanton arranged for Congress to be presented with an amendment giving women the right to vote. Introduced by Senator Aaron A. Sargent, it became known as the Susan B. Anthony Amendment, which was ratified as the 19th Amendment by the Constitution in 1920. Now, Anthony traveled extensively in support of women's suffrage, giving as many as 75 to 100 speeches per year. Working on many state campaigns, she worked internationally for women's rights as well, playing a key role in creating the International Council of Women, which is still alive today. She also helped bring about the World Congress of Representative Women at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893. Unfortunately, Anthony died in 1906, 14 years before the women were given the right to vote. So she never saw her hard work and dedication come through. You know, what's amazing about Susan B. Anthony is that she did this in a time period when her life was very much in danger. I mean, she was spit on by men and women alike who thought that she was trying to underscore the foundation of marriage itself. In 1979, she had a coin dedicated in her honor. And I think many people see this coin today, but they don't really understand exactly what went on in her life to help with the women's rights movement and also her work to abolish slavery. On a side note, I'd like to bring attention to a letter written by Abigail Adams to her husband, John Adams, and the Continental Congress. And it states, Remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put much unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to foment a rebellion. We will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. And in 1851, a former slave turned abolitionist and woman right activist, Sonia Truth, delivers her famous Ain't I a Woman speech, which stated, Ain't I a woman? Look at me. Look at my arm. I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns, and no man could head me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it, and bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman? I have borne 13 children and seen most all sold off to slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? The next woman I'd like to talk about is Lucy Stone. She was born in West Brookfield, Massachusetts on August 13, 1818. She was an orator, abolitionist, and suffragist, and a vocal advocate and organizer promoting rights for women. In 1847, Stone became the first woman from Massachusetts to earn a college degree. She spoke out for women's rights and against slavery at the time when women were discouraged and prevented from public speaking. 
Stone helped initiate the first National Women's Rights Convention in Worcester, Massachusetts, and she supported and sustained it annually, along with a number of other local, state, and regional activist conventions. Stone spoke in front of a number of legislative bodies to promote laws giving more rights to women. She assisted in establishing the Women's National Law League to help pass the 13th Amendment and thereby abolish slavery, after which she helped form the American Women's Suffrage Association, which built support for a women's suffrage constitutional amendment by winning women's suffrage at the state and local levels. Stone wrote extensively about a wide range of women's rights, publishing and distributing speeches by herself and others, and convention proceedings in the long-running Influential Women's Journal, a weekly periodical that she founded and promoted. Stone aired both her own and different views about women's rights. She's been called the orator, the morning star, and the heart and soul of the women's rights movement. She died on October 18, 1893, at the age of 75 years old, never giving up her fight to see women achieve equal rights. Next, I'd like to bring your attention to Josephine St. Pierre, Rufin. She was an African-American publisher, journalist, civil rights leader, suffragist, and editor of the Women's Era newspaper. It was the first national newspaper published by and for African-American women. She was the wife of the first African-American man to graduate from Harvard's law school and who also became the first African-American municipal judge. Rufin raised four children, was actively involved in the Civil War and African-American rights. She also served on the board of the Massachusetts Moral Education Association and the Massachusetts School of Suffrage Association, working closely with other New England women, leaders like Julia Ward Howe and Lucy Stone. Her particular interest was the development of African-American women in New England and nationwide, and in 1894, she organized the Women's Era Club, among the very first African-American women organizations. Then, in 1895, she convened in Boston a conference of representatives of, of other national groups, which organized the National Federation of Afro-American Women. Its mission was to demonstrate the existence of a large number of educated, cultured African-American women. At its founding meeting, she said, we are women, American women, as intensely interested in all that pertains to us as such as all other American women. We are not alienating or drawing. We are only coming to the front, willing to join any others in the same work and welcoming any others to join us. In 1896, this group merged with the Colored Women's League of Washington, forming the National Association of Colored Women. Rufin was also active in the founding of the Boston branch of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People and of the League of Women for Community Service. She died on March 13, 1924, never seeing her dream of women achieving equal rights. Now, these women previously mentioned made enormous leaps and bounds for women to get the right to vote, but their main goal was to have equal rights. In 1923, in Seneca Falls, for the celebration of the 1848 Women's Rights Convention, Alice Paul first introduced the first version of the Equal Rights Amendment, which was called the Lucretta Mott Amendment. At the time, it stated, Men and women shall have equal rights throughout the United States in every place subject to its jurisdiction. The amendment was introduced to Congress the same year. Now, 20 years after she first introduced it, Alice Paul rewrote the amendment in 1943. It was given a new title, the Alice Paul Amendment, to better reflect the language in both the 15th and the 19th Amendment. The new version stated, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any other state on account of sex. Now, the Equal Rights Amendment passed the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives, and on March 22, 1972, the proposed 27th Amendment to the Constitution was sent to the states for ratification. But as it had done for every amendment since the 18th, which was prohibition, with the exception of the 19th Amendment, Congress placed a seven-year deadline on the ratification progress. 
Now, in July of 1978, the National Organization of Women coordinated a successful march of 100,000 supporters in Washington, D.C. Bowing to public pressure, Congress granted an extension until June 30th of 1982. When the deadline for ratification arrived in 1982, the Equal Rights Amendment was three states shy of the necessary 38 states for ratification. The Equal Rights Amendment was reintroduced in Congress on July 14th, 1982, and has been introduced before every session of Congress since then. Now, in 2018, Illinois was the 36th state to ratify the ERA. However, it's still short of what it needs to be ratified. There are current efforts in several states, specifically North Carolina, Tennessee, and Florida, to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. On September 7th, there will be a gathering at the state capitol to celebrate the upcoming 100th anniversary of American women gaining the right to vote, a right realized with the adoption of the 19th Amendment in 1920. But there's a dark cloud on this because the Equal Rights Amendment has never been ratified. So ladies, what this means is despite all the trials and tribulations of the women of the past and of the present, you still technically do not have equal rights to men. Now, the Institution for Women Policy Research finds that if change continues at the same slow pace as it has done for the past 50 years, it will take 41 years or until 2059 for women to finally reach pay parity to men. And with women of color, the change would be even slower. This could all change soon with North Carolina holding a vote that would give the ratification the 38th vote it needs. As I previously stated, the Equal Rights Amendment was called the Lucretia Mott Amendment. Now, Lucretia Mott was born on January 3rd, 1793 in Nantucket, Massachusetts. She was an early feminine activist and strong advocate for ending slavery. A powerful orator, she dedicated her life to speaking out against racial and gender injustice. Mott, along with her supportive husband, argued ardently for the abolitionist cause as members of William Lloyd Garrison's American Anti-Slavery Society. In the 1830s, Mott was one of the founders of the Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society. In 1848, she helped organize the Seneca Fall Convention where the Declaration of Sentiments was presented, which demanded rights for women by inserting the word woman into the language of the Declaration of Independence and included a list of 18 women-specific demands. These included divorce, property and custody rights, as well as the right to vote. Mott's devotion to women's rights did not deter her from fighting for an end to slavery. She and her husband protested the passage of the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 and helped an enslaved person escape bondage a few years later. Mott joined Stanton and Susan B. Anthony in decreeing the 14th and 15th Amendments to the Constitution for granting the vote to black men, but not to women. She was dedicated to all forms of human freedom. Mott argued as ardently for women's rights as for black rights, including suffrage, education, and economic aid. Mott played a major role in the women's suffrage movement throughout her life. She sadly died on November 11, 1880. So after the Equal Rights Amendment was rewrote in 1943, it became known as the Alice Paul Amendment. Alice Paul was born on January 11, 1885 in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. She was an American suffragist, female and women's rights activist, and one of the main leaders and strategists of the campaign for the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which would prohibit sex discrimination and the rights to vote, because she refused to stop demonstrating for the freedom unabated. The suffragist demands were met with brutality including frail older women who were beaten, pushed, and thrown into cold, unsanitary, and rat-infested cells. Arrests continued, and conditions at the prisons deteriorated. For staging a hunger strike, Paul and several other women were forcibly fed in torturous methods. Prison officials removed Paul to a sanitarium in hopes of getting her declared insane. When news broke of the prison conditions, public sentiment and outrage led to the women being released. Paul fought for equal rights 
until the day she died in 1977. Here are some of the more famous quotes from women at that time period. I declare to you that women must not depend upon the protection of man, but must be taught to protect herself, and there I take my stand. It was we, the people, not we, the white male citizens, not yet we, the male citizens, but we, the whole people, who formed the union. Men, their rights and nothing more. Women, their rights and nothing less. The moment we begin to fear the opinions of others and hesitate to tell the truth that is in us, and from motive of policy are silent when we should speak, the divine floods of light and life no longer flow into our souls. Every truth we see in ours to give the world, not to keep for ourselves alone, for in so doing we cheat humanity out of the rights and check our own development. The vote is the emblem of your equality, women of America, the guarantee of your liberty. That vote of yours has cost millions of dollars in the lives of thousands of women. Money to carry on their work has been given usually as a sacrifice, and thousands of women have gone without things that they wanted and could have had in order that the things that might help get the vote for you. Women have suffered agony of soul which you could never comprehend, that you and your daughters might inherit political freedom. That vote has been costly. Prize it. The vote is a power, a weapon of offense and defense, a prayer. Understand what it means and what it can do for your country. Use it intelligently, cautiously. Every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember, you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world. I hope this encourages you to go and learn more about these wonderful women and the courage and struggles that they did. Uh, and also the fact that the Equal Rights Amendment has never been passed and hopefully North Carolina ratifies it this year. Uh, at this time, I'd like to say a shout out to my friend Lisa Legier, who owns her own cleaning service in Nashua, New Hampshire. It's called Swiftly Sweepers, and the phone number is 603-294-7876. I know Lisa personally, and let me tell you, she is an incredible person, and I wish her the total best in this business. Also, I'd like to take this time to send a shout out to my friends who do the podcast, Double Date with Death. And if you get a chance, please listen to that. If you find yourself in New Hampshire and you're in the Laconia area, please go to the Union Diner. It's located at 1331 Union Avenue, and the phone number is 603-524-6744. I actually stumbled across this by accident, and the food there is phenomenal. So if you get a chance, stop in and say hi. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please turn in next week to find out what's happening. <laughs>